0: All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise him. your strength of God. They wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of the world was fallen. Is. Son of God. So
1: Thank you for your loving kindness to us and for your mercy. Be glorified in our worship today. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I just want to remind you that this afternoon, at 5 o'clock this evening, we're going to be gathering back here for a concluding celebration time for the end of our prayer vigil. Uh, these last three weeks, as we've been praying together, and it's an opportunity for us to come together. We'll sing, we'll pray, give opportunity to share some of uh, your stories, some things that God may have spoken to you about. And uh, so we hope you'll join us here at 5 o'clock tonight here in the sanctuary. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and uh, take the offering now.
0: So oh, changeless, satisfies my heart, satisfies its deepest longings, meets of lies my every need, compasses me round with blessings. Thine is love indeed, Jesus. I am resting, resting in the joy of what. i yeah. Stay resting, fill me with Thy grace, Jesus. I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou.
1: to pray together. If you'd like to come and pray at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, it is an awesome thing To hear your call to come to you and to rest in you. I suspect that many of us have come today with a certain level of turmoil and uncertainty and pain in our hearts, in our lives. In the midst of that, help us to hear your call to come and to rest. Father, we pray for your gracious presence in all of us as we are dealing with stuff today. We think particularly of people who are grieving this morning. Paul Young and his family. Diane Emmons and her family at the death of her mother. And for others on our hearts and minds, we pray for comforting grace. Lord, we pray for all who are struggling with illness, pain, for Vesta Mullen and Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, Bill Roski, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Alton Shea, Isla Shea, Dick Gould and Edna Howard, and Crystal Blake, and Emily Crickler. For others who may be on our hearts and our minds today, we ask your healing grace in each of their lives, their bodies, their souls, their spirits. Father, we pray for our world. We think of the world close to us. We see this food that's been brought this morning and we thank you for it. And for other food that's been brought in days and weeks ahead and throughout the year, we're grateful for the way you've blessed us to have food to share. Our hearts are burdened for people who don't have enough food. We pray that you will take what has been given. Help us as we distribute it, to distribute it in your love, into your grace, and may it meet needs, very practical needs in people's lives. May it even help them to see your compassion and your mercy and your grace and ours as well. Father, we pray for the further out and we think of people in Buffalo and the difficulties they're experiencing from the snowstorm and now the thawing and flooding. Lord, we pray for your grace in the midst of this very difficult circumstance. We pray that you would comfort families, people who are grieving the deaths, damages. We pray, Father, that you will minimize the flooding and the ongoing damage and that there will be a sense of, of recovery and of hope through your spirit. And Father, we think about the, the world at large and we pray for the people who are affected by the Ebola virus. We pray that you would continue to bring healing in the most critical places and that you bring an end to this, this tragic circumstance. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who live in places of the world where they face opposition, sometimes violent, threatening. It's hard for us to really comprehend that. But we pray for your grace upon them, your courage. We pray that you would protect them. And we pray again that as we we pray for them and as we support them, that we would be encouraged by their faithfulness to you. Father, we continue to pray for your grace and mercy upon us. We pray that you will take what we have done over these three weeks of the prayer vigil and multiply them more than we could have imagined. Keep speaking into our lives and our church. We ask that you would work miraculously in each of us. Thank you for all the reasons we have to be grateful. As we move into Thanksgiving this week, fill our hearts with gratitude to you. And out of that gratitude, may we continue to share your love and your bounty with others. Thank you for hearing our prayers today as you always do. Thank you for answering in the way that you know is best. We offer our prayers today. In the spirit of trust. And to the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: Our scripture this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 12. I will be reading from the New International Version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written... It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Take a and uh,
1: share a word of greeting to others who are here in worship today. In one way or another, these are the kinds of questions that you asked about the will of God. We're looking for some specific answers, and I understand that. We've all been there. We've all done that. We all do that. People have been wondering about God's will for probably forever. You look back at Exodus, and it's interesting to me that in Moses, as he's judging people, and people are coming to him, and he is... He is uh, like a judge standing in front of them and making decisions. He describes, the scripture describes that as uh, discerning the will of God for these people. And they're coming and saying, How do, what do we do about this? How do we handle this? What's the answer to this? They want to know the will of God. And throughout the scriptures, we find that over and over again, of people searching, discerning, trying to find the will of God. I debated this morning about having a little panel discussion and putting some couches up here, doing the Dr. Phil thing, and, you know, just sitting and saying, all right, just, just ask me some questions about God's will. And my fear was that they'd be questions I couldn't answer, so I decided not to do that. But at some point, I am going to do something like that, I guarantee you. We've been talking about some some things like that. But but the, I guess the reason I thought of that is because these questions are very personal to us. And, and they're they're. Things that we're saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right thing is to do. I don't know which direction to go. And I want to do the right thing. We wonder, what is the right thing? I think it's important right off the bat to understand that when we talk about the will of God, there are really two kinds of, of ways to discern God's will. Because there are two areas of, of thinking about God's will. At least two. One of them is what we might call God's intentional will or or God's general will for us. And quite frankly, that's not that difficult to discern. It's a challenge to do, but it's not that difficult to discern. These are the kinds of questions that we look at and they're right or wrong questions. Good and bad, moral, immoral. And all we have to do is take some time looking at the scriptures and we see the answers to those questions. You go to places like Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where he says, you know, what does God require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So if you're facing a decision and if you do A, it will mean that you will act unjustly towards someone. That's probably not God's will for you. If making this decision means that you will be unloving towards someone, there's a good chance that's not God's will for you. And then you, and, and in Romans 12, that, the long sent passage near the second half of that chapter, there's a whole litany of things that Paul says, here's some do's, here's some don'ts, here's some things you should do, you shouldn't do. And these are all about the general will of God, about how to live. And it's not that complicated to figure those out. It's just really challenging to obey them and to live them. So that's one kind of of the of will of God. But probably more than anything, we struggle to understand and to discern the more the more um, practical will of God, the more that's probably not the right word either, the, the circumstantial will of God. What do we do about life decisions? Like the questions that were on the screen a few minutes ago. About, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I go into this career? Should I go to this school? Should I go to school at all? Should we live in this place or that place? Those kinds of decisions are the ones that we wrestle and agonize over and we struggle with. And we wonder, what do I do? Because when you read the scriptures, they're not do this, do that kinds of answers. They're a lot more ambiguous. And so we wrestle with them. What do we do about them? And so one of the questions is, how do I discern how to address those questions? How to know how to answer those questions? Well, I think God has given us some tools for that. Some resources that he's made available to us. One of them is our interests, our gifts. What do you like to do? You know, sometimes we we wrestle, should I go into this profession or this career? What do you like doing? Do it. Should we live in this place or that place? Where do you want to live? Live there. You know, I, I think that God gives us these, these uh, resources and, the, and these this joy in us. See, sometimes we have a I think we think God's will is intended to confine us and is to, intended... To make life miserable for us. We'll admit that, but something in the back of our minds feels that way. But the truth is, Paul says at the beginning of Romans 12 God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. He wants good for us, He wants what's best for us, He wants to bring joy to us. Uh, Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you. To bring joy to you. To bring fulfillment to your life. And Jesus says to his disciples. I've told you all this stuff. I've lived all this in front of you. Why? So that your life will be filled with joy. And somehow we've gotten this thing twisted up. And we think that we equate the will of God. With pain and negative stuff. And I have to do what I don't want to do. But that's not the will of God. The will of God is for us to live in fullness and in joy and in peace and everything positive we can think of it's our sin it's our fallen world that creates the negative confining narrow-minded thinking about god's will it's not god isn't it interesting that in the in the garden of eden god gives to our first parents one little thing that they can't do and everything else they're free to do. And we have a tendency to reverse that. There's one little thing that we can do, everything else we're not allowed to do. And yes, there are certainly commands about what not to do, but again, that's about those right and wrong kinds of things. But when it comes to these decisions that are not right and wrong, good and bad, they're life decisions, and we look at them and there's there's no real moral nature to them Do what we want to do. Do what we love to do. I mean, look at this passage here and and he talks about gifts. And he says in Romans 12, and he says, if your gift is is leading, then lead. Do it. Use it. If your gift is mercy, then spend your life being merciful. If If your gift is encouragement, encourage. Do what you love to do. What comes naturally to you. I think also God has given us minds to think, use them. Now, I think we struggle with thinking because, quite frankly, thinking is hard, right? I mean, thinking is hard. And we have developed this this sort of attitude as a culture that I don't want to think, just tell me what to do, right? I mean, even in classes, I don't want to have to think about this material. I just want the teacher to explain it to me. Tell me what it's about and then I don't have to think about it. And you come to the test and I'll just tell you what you told me. And then we get out in the real world and people don't do that anymore. I don't know what to do. We, we need to think. And I know thinking is hard and it's demanding of us, but God's given us a mind to think. And that's where, you know, you write out a list, pros, cons, good, bad... Sometimes that's helpful to do that. Just to think and to process it. And and let our minds work on it for a little bit. Sometimes we don't like to think because when we begin to think about our lives, it causes us to, it opens the door for God's spirit to speak into our lives about things we'd rather him not talk about. So we don't want to think about it. We just want somebody to tell us what to do. People come to me I've come to you through the years about decisions like this, and they would say, you know, what do I do about this? I don't know what to do. One time I told them what to do, and they blamed me for it the rest of their life. (laughs) I don't do that anymore. But God has given us the church. God has given us other people. Not to tell each other what to do, but to be a sounding board. Sometimes just talking with someone about it can bring clarity. Sometimes another person can ask questions that will bring clarity. And I, I, I think we don't utilize the church enough. And part of that is because we don't have close enough relationships in the church. You know, we churches, we go there on Sunday and then we don't think about it anymore. But the design of church, the intention of church is to build relationships and to be connected to each other. So that when we're going through stuff, and we're trying to figure out these kinds of decisions... There are people in our lives who know us well enough that we can go to and we can talk to them and they will understand the right questions to ask. And again, not to tell us what to do, but to just maybe give us some guidance about how to think about it. And God gives us the scriptures. And one of the great things about the scriptures is we see how other people handle decisions and we watch how people deal with things. And one of the most... One of the most inspiring parts of Scripture is to read the stories of people's lives who've come up to, what do I do at this fork in the road, and to see them make courageous decisions. And and it's inspiring to watch that. And God speaks to us through His Scriptures. God gives us wisdom, principles, ideas. Sometimes it's when we read the Scripture we discover the decision we thought had No real moral bearing does. We just have ignored it. And we pray. God's given us the ability to pray. And and he opens the door for us to pray and to seek his guidance. And a big part of praying for guidance is listening. We're not good listeners. Thinking's hard and listening is challenging. Because when we listen again, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and He may give us direction, but also in that listening, He may convict us of some stuff that we'd rather not talk about. And so we just don't listen at all. But we miss out on the Spirit's ability to come and to speak into our lives and to help us with these decisions. But ultimately, we do everything we can, we do everything we know, we pray, we read the Scriptures, we talk to people, we think, we, we think about what our interests are, it eventually comes down to trusting God. That, that's what it comes down to. we got to trust God. And we trust God believing that we've done everything we know in our power to make a decision. And we make the decision. And if there's something about this decision that God knows we, are, we have to make this decision. This is the very best decision for us to make. Then we got to leave it up to him to open doors and close doors to guide us to that. And if he doesn't do that, then that's his fault, not ours. All we can do is use the resources he's given us, and then we trust him. But I am convinced that one of the reasons we don't make decisions, one of the reasons we wrestle so much with this, is not so much that we're, we're thinking, I don't want to, to disappoint God, as much as it is, I don't really want to take a risk. I don't want to trust We're afraid of the consequences. And you know, it's a lot easier to think, God will just lead me and guide me. And I'll just wait for God to act and wait for God to do what he needs to do. And I'll just sit back and do nothing. Because then, when things don't go right, who do we blame? We blame God. But see, the, the underlying idea of who God is to us is not... God giving, God leading us like robots along the path, but he's given us free will. He's given us freedom to choose. It's a gift. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a gift, but it is. And he's given us this freedom to live Enjoy and, in, and, and to live in not worrying and anxious and, and all tied up in knots that we're going to make the wrong decision. I am convinced that if we have done what God has asked us to do and we've prepared ourselves and, and we have opened ourselves up to God, we can't make a wrong decision. Now, that doesn't mean that, every, that if we make a decision, everything's going to be perfect. Have you ever made a decision and it all ended up perfect? I've never had a decision that always went perfectly. That's not real life. But see, we tend to judge our decisions based on whether things are perfect or not. Somehow in our heads, we have this perspective that there is this golden decision out there. You know, it's sort of like we're playing this cosmic let's make a deal game. That We got to make sure we choose the right curtain. And if we choose the right curtain, we win the big prize and everything's awesome. Or we're playing the shell game and we just make sure that we find, figure out where the little ball is under the cups. I don't think that's the way it works. I, I want to say that, make this statement, but I don't want to be misinterpreted. But I'm not sure God is, is as worried about the decisions we make as we tend to be. I think God cares about the decisions we make. I think God is involved in our lives. He's interested in our lives. He's a part of our lives. And everything we do is important to him. But God's not up in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh man, I hope they make the right decision or this is going to be a mess. I don't think God is, is, is... fretting and worrying and sweating it out that, oh man, if they make the wrong decision, this is all going to fall apart. I think God says, look, you've done everything I've asked you to do to figure out this decision. And I don't really have a particular door I want you to walk through or a particular place I want you to go. I just want you to make a decision and have fun with it. Enjoy it. Because whatever happens, with, whatever decision you make, there's going to be good things and bad things about it. That's just how life is. And I'm going to walk with you through the good and the bad. And I'm going to turn the bad into good. And I'm going to, I'm going to love you in all of it. And we're going to build our relationship stronger through all of it. And in the end, you're going to become more like Christ. Whatever you decide. If you let me work in that. And instead of this anxiety and fear about making a mistake which implies that God is looking for perfection out of us. See, we have this sense in the back of our minds that God's goal for everybody is perfection. That's why he created us for perfection. But God didn't create us for perfection because perfection means that we have to never we never can make a mistake. God created us for relationship. And relationships are messy. And relationships are not perfect. But relationships are about love. They're not about formulas. They're about love. And God's design for us is to relax and to enjoy the ride with Him, wherever it leads, however things go, because God can work through every decision we make. I mean, that's the otherness of God. He isn't stymied by our decisions, He can work through any of them. I grew up a Green Bay Packers fan. I followed the Packers all of my life. And um, this year, they were, everyone was expecting them to have a great season. Things were going to go well. They played their first three games. They lost two of them. And everybody, all the Packer fans were panicking. You know, everything's falling apart. You going to fire the coach. You know, I mean, these thoughts are going through my mind as well. You know, we got to yell at the players. We got to do this better. We got to change something. You know, and... and People calling into radio shows in Wisconsin are freaking out, and you know it's just, people are just going crazy. And the Monday after they lost their second game, out of three, Aaron Rodgers, their quarterback, came on his radio show in Milwaukee, and he got him on the radio, and he's got this California kind of soothing voice, and he says, "I just got five letters." I want to share with all of you out there in Packer land. Just five letters think about. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. It's okay. We're fine. It's good. And he's right. They went from being one and two to seven and three. And a part of me wants to just say to us, relax. Now, let's not live in fear because God doesn't want relationship with us that's based in fear. He's built relationship with us that's based in love and freedom and joy. And I think it, I think it burdens God to see us so stressed and anxious because it implies that God is like every other God of the universe who's looking down, just waiting to zap us when we make the wrong decision. And he's not. He loves us. And what he's, what he's doing is trying to help us experience that love and live in that love and, and live in that joy and freedom. And yes, we're going to make decisions that look like mistakes sometimes. But if we believe that God is who he says he is, he will take even those things that look like mistakes and bring good out of them. When I was in high school, a family, my parents decided that they would leave the pastoral ministry and join a mission organization. And that meant we moved to Oregon from Indiana. Never been west of South Dakota This is a whole new thing. And it threw my life into turmoil. I had to change where I was going to school at the last minute, college. My younger sister had uprooted out of high school after her freshman year. And quite frankly, we weren't real happy about this decision. But my parents were saying, we really believe this is what God wants us to do. So they moved to Oregon, and they lived there for five and a half years. And my dad would tell you it was the most difficult five and a half years of his life. Everything that, that he had done before this that had brought value and worth to him was gone. And I think he would say, during, especially a lot during that time, he questioned whether that was really the right decision or not. But the one thing that was clear it was the very best decision that could have ever happened for me and for my younger sister. Because the experiences we had moving there and the changes in our lives allowed God to work in us that in ways that would have been difficult had that not happened. It changed us. And it, was, and it worked out for my dad. And there were a lot of things they learned through that. But I think he would say that that decision was worth it because of what it did for us. And in the moment, it looked like a bad decision, and he was second-guessing it and third-guessing it and hundredth-guessing it, I would suspect. But God was in it. And God took that decision, and he did some marvelous stuff for all of us. And that's what God does. That's how God works. And some, at some point, we have to come to the place where we trust God enough to take risk for him. Remember the parable of the talents, Matthew twenty-five, where the master gives to one guy five talents and one two and one one, and he says, "Now you know, do something with this." And he goes away for a while, and the guy with five and the guy with two they invest it, and more than likely what they invest they invested in something like the stock market, very volatile. They could have lost it in in a moment. And the guy that has one is so scared about losing it that he buries it in the ground. When the master comes back. He doesn't say to the guy who buried it in the ground, you know what? You did the wise thing not taking a risk because you could have lost that. And he doesn't say to the other two guys, are you guys nuts? What were you thinking? You could have lost that. Exactly the opposite. He says to the guy who buried it, you wicked, evil servant, you didn't even trust me enough to risk? You didn't trust me even that little bit to put it in the bank? And to the other two, he says, I am so excited about your willingness to take a risk. And I really don't care if you'd lost it or not. The fact that you trusted me enough to take a risk is all that matters. Because you see, our lives with Christ are not about success. They're about faithfulness. They're about being willing to trust him enough to take risks. And to believe that however those risks end up, whatever pathway that leads us, God is present in every moment. And he wants us to enjoy the moment. And instead of worrying and fretting and living in anxiety and stress about it, we do everything we can to use the resources he's given us. We make the decision and we see where God takes us. And sometimes things that look like failure, when we look back on them, are the greatest successes in the world. And some things that immediately look like success, we look back and think, you know what? There were things about that that probably would have been better and could have been different. But God was at work in every moment. What it really comes down to is not some kind of formula but it's about surrendering our lives to him. You see, Jesus says to his disciples in John 4, John 5, John 6, he says, I've come to do the will of my father. Everything about my life is doing the will of my father. That's, what I, that's why I'm here, to do the will of my father. And ultimately that, that culminates on the, on the cross in the, in the garden before he goes to the cross when he prays, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's it. That is what it's about. And the God who can take what looks like failure at, at the cross and turns it into an empty tomb, what is death and turns it into life, can take our decisions. And bring amazing good out of every single one of them. And we come today and we come to this table today. Because we believe God can do more than we could dream or imagine. We believe that God is with us. And he's at work in us. And he's simply wanting us to trust him. And to find in that trust joy and peace and life. And his presence. It really comes down to. Really not the question. How do I know God's will. But Really the question. Maybe should be. When I have discerned. What seems to be God's will. Do I trust him enough. To do it. Heavenly father. We thank you. For your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for being with us in every moment of our lives and for giving us joy and freedom to live for you. Father, I pray that as we come to this table, that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup. That as we eat and as we drink, that we will know your presence with us, that we will be overwhelmed by your grace. Help us to see you as a God of love and mercy and joy, whose deepest desires for us are good and pleasing perfect. We pray this through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, Drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction. which means to dip in. As you're released by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisle. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I do have some gluten-free wafers here and cups as well. Just let me know as you come up and I can serve you those. I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire to for your life to be in His hands and to follow Him, come. Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
0: You dwell in the songs that we are singing. Rising to the heavens, rising to your heart, your heart. Our praise is filling up the spaces in between our frailty and everything. You are, you are the key. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. JOHN yeah. yeah. Satisfied is I smile, Lord Jesus, earth's dark shadows flee. Greatness of my Father's glory, sunshine of my Father's face. Keep me ever trusting, resting, fill me with thy grace. Jesus, I am resting, resting, in the joy of